Hello, and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a nonprofit medical clinic offering free of charge or low cost reproductive health services to women in the Seattle area, regardless of income or insurance status. 3W does not profit off of the reproductive health choices women make. The information shared in this podcast is the opinion of the speaker or speakers. Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Helen Nguyen, CEO and co-founder of 3W Medical for Women and the host of today's podcast. Hi there, Wellness Wednesday listeners. This is Helen Wynn, your host for our 3W podcast. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Today, we have a pretty controversial topic because it's just been in social media a lot, in our political realms a lot. But I have with us our co-medical director, Dr. Susan Rutherford, and our president and my dear friend. And she's going to educate us today about Plan C. been hearing a lot about that, like I said, in just reproductive health, sexual health. And I wanted to know what is it? What are the medication that comes with it? There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on with the FDA. So I just thought I'd reach out to the best person to talk about this, which is Dr. Rutherford. So let's just jump in. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here again. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yes. Kind of fun. This has been interesting. I had to research it a bit too, because I'm not actively involved Mm-hmm. in what's going on with these medications. I've used them, one of them for later pregnancy issues. But anyway, so Plan C is also called self-managed abortion or medical abortion or mm-hmm. chemical abortion. Those basically mm-hmm. are interchangeable terms. Okay. And it uses, in the United States, it uses two medications, two drugs, one of which Well, either one of which could theoretically be used by itself, but not be as effective as the two combined. Okay. So they're taken in order. And the first one is called mifepristone, previously known as RU486 because Mm -hmm. of the name of the pharmaceutical company that (laughs) developed it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a progesterone receptor blocker. Okay. So it binds to the progesterone receptors instead of the progesterone, preventing the progesterone from binding, but it doesn't activate it like progesterone would. Mm. So it basically stops the effect of progesterone. It's used not just for abortion, but it's used in an adrenal problem called Cushing's disease. It's used to treat miscarriage, and I'll explain that in a second. It's sometimes used to help try and get labor started, opening the cervix a little bit, which is also true of the other medication. It's been tried to treat endometriosis, uh, some cancer. And by blocking hormone receptors, we know that hormone blockers are a part of current treatment for gender dysphoria. It appears that, you know, it's been FDA approved, but Mm -hmm. the the big battle is that the FDA took some shortcuts Mm -hmm. in doing that and that the follow-up trying to make sure it was used safely, the regulations for that have also been recently dispensed with. Mm -hmm. And the data collection has been pretty abysmal Mm. in terms of how well it really works there are some data is all over the map depending on mm-hmm. what sources you use. Mm-hmm. So that's 
Well, yeah, you have a question. Oh, well, I was just going to say these days you can support anything. It seems like it. Yeah. Just Google it and someone yes. out there will agree with you and give you stats, right? So it's so difficult to it's, it is difficult. Wade through yeah. the type of statistics these days. Yes. Especially surrounding such a controversial Yeah. Um, especially topic. controversy. And the World Health Organization puts in its two cents. And yeah. we've also learned recently how reliable unreliable the World Health Organization could be. So yeah, yeah so some of it's kind of vague. So the I I'd really like to explain it in a way that patients can get the basic understanding of how and why yeah. so that when, regardless of what they're presented with in terms of data, people often don't make their decisions based on data. Well, when it comes to something as personal right. as a pregnancy and it has to do with your body, yes. data is kind of just noise. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. 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 So un unless you're in that moment, it's like they just want to know. Yeah. How is this going to affect me? Yeah. And what to expect. Yeah. So, well, still talking about mifepristone, mm -hmm. uh, the progesterone blocking causes the uh, what's called the decidua, which is the early pregnancy placental tissue at the lining of the endometrium. It causes that to start dying, basically. Necrosis is the technical term. Mm. So, that signals uh, hormonally that uh, the uterus should get ready to evacuate itself, to empty mm. itself. Mm. So the reason it can be used for miscarriage is sometimes miscarriages will be clear that they're inevitable, you know, early lack of a fetal heartbeat, something like yeah. that. Yeah. But it can take weeks for that to happen. The placenta is kind of slow to figure it out, mm -hmm. and the uterus then has to figure it out, and then finally they start the cramping and bleeding that will lead to the actual miscarriage event. And so, so mifepristone has been used to try and hurry along that sequence of hormonal changes okay. to, to make that happen more quickly. Okay. So the second medication is called misoprostol, yeah. and that was first approved to prevent stomach ulcers and ga gastric ulcers and other oh. ulcers due to the chronic use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Oh. You know, think ibuprofen, et cetera, yeah. and people get, you know, stomach pain. Yeah. They, get, they can get problems from those. And yeah. so it was, it's used to block that. And that's why it was approved. Okay. So for the process of inducing labor or abortion mm -hmm. or anything having to do with women's health, it's off-label. Lots of medications oh. are used off-label. In other words, okay. the FDA approves something for a specific purpose. But then the cost for the for the pharmaceutical company to get it approved for something else is so prohibitive. The amount of research that has to be done is so expensive yeah. that usually what happens is doctors just say, oh, well, this is good for that. Let's use it, you know, mm. for this purpose. And mm -hmm. so there are tons of medications, magnesium sulfate. Mm -hmm. is used to treat preeclampsia in pregnancy. That's off-label. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, even very fairly simple things mm -hmm. are frequently off-label. But it has been used for quite a while in terms of helping pregnancies deliver, okay. um, either by so cervical ripening or in the second trimester if there's a fetal demise, mm -hmm. getting the labor started because okay. it works better at that time of pregnancy than Pitocin, oxytocin. Okay. okay. So it's it's been used for quite a while. So it's after the mifepristone is kind of primed things, then the misoprostol is taken 
to uh, trigger the uterine contractions. The usual time interval for that is like 24 to 48 hours. Patients often prefer the shorter time frame, but you're probably better off giving it a little longer time, yeah. just because then the, the hormonal signals are more clear. But yeah. usually it's you take one, you take the mifepristone and then, you know, 24 to 48 hours later, you take the misoprostol. Okay. So that's basically how. Okay. Okay. And how early in your pregnancy by taking these two medication would it be effective? As early as you can figure out you're pregnant. So as early as a positive pregnancy test. So even okay. before five weeks. Before five yeah. weeks would be ideal. So the, the data on the success for causing abortion or mm-hmm. reverse look at it would be the failure rate getting mm-hmm. higher. Mm-hmm. That all progresses as the number of weeks goes up. Right. So the further along in your pregnancy, the lower the chance that this is going to work. Mm-hmm. They've been using it when people have had positive pregnancy tests, but no idea of the dates other than a, what they think is a reliable last menstrual period. And okay. have, have had uh, that's when they've had the best success is the real early, okay. real early pregnancies. In your opinion and, and experience of the thousands of ultrasounds that you've done with patients and measuring the baby and, uh-huh. you know, trying to right. trying to line up with what the patient is telling you of like, this is my last menstrual cycle. Oh, yeah. And what... How the, many times is it right? Yeah. And the <laughs> measurement of what you're seeing on the screen. How What's a percentage mm-hmm. that you would... Oh, that I'm, you I'm, would... I'm going to have to just make a wild guess. Yes. Make a wild that, guess. At that. I would say... How many times have it lined up? Have they really lined up? Yeah. <laughs> Between two thirds and three fourths, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely at least at least a quarter of the time something's different, something yeah, 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 so the question is, uh, and I've seen people that thought they were just six weeks pregnant who were sixteen weeks pregnant, right, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so how safe is it yeah. to wait yeah, yeah. well, it uh, basically, your chances of having bleeding or needing a surgical evacuation mm-hmm. of the uterus go up with the advanced gestational age, so if you mm-hmm. were really far off, then you you could run into those situations and potentially right. worse hemorrhage. Yeah. But that's true of any pregnancy uh, ending miscarriage spontaneously. Mm-hmm. The further along, the greater the risk of, of having bleeding accompanying the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the, as far as that timing, yeah, that's potentially a, a, an issue. The other thing is the failure rate. Mm-hmm. Now, the, there's very, very limited data on the failure rate, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. After reviewing things from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, yeah. the Journal of Contraception, CDC, you know, after after looking at a lot of those mainline things and then looking at some other papers that were published, oh, well, some of them say, well, less than 1% is a problem, and others say, you know, that it's much higher, that, mm-hmm. and that the failure rate could be as high as, say, 25%. Wow. The data that's wow. published by contraception and ACOG suggests that when it's, and I'm going to refer to some of my multiple papers here. Sure, yeah. Suggests that abortion is successful under 49 days 
and they don't make it clear when they talk about gestational age. They're, even these papers aren't being clear. Is this gestational age based on last menstrual period, theoretically? Yeah. Or based on the time of fertilization? Even reading these documents, it wasn't clear. Because that me. can make a difference. It'll make a two week difference, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, so under maybe six, seven weeks, okay. they are finding that the success rates, and they vary by the, the route of dosage. So the, the mifepristone is taken orally. The second one orally has a higher failure rate. So it's it can be inserted vaginally. That seems to be the best and the fewest wow. side effects. Or it can that. be put under the tongue or in the side of the cheek to be slowly absorbed. Oh. Those those are better. And so depending on which route you're going to get, a ninety they claim a 95 to 98% basically, or maybe as high as 99%. Okay. success. When you get up to the 64 to 70 days range, and at this point it's technically approved only to 70 days, which is considered to be 10 weeks. And oh, we all think weeks. of that as 10 gestational weeks. So I'm thinking the 70 days must mean menstrual. Yeah. But anyway, so huh. there the success rates still in the 90s, but the low 90s. Okay. So uh, according to the data that's, you know, that's in the ACOG literature, which mm-hmm. is considered the main line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A source of information, but the experiences would be oh, they're different, pretty yeah. different, right? Yes, okay. yes, yes. But briefly, trying to say, well, you don't have to take the second drug. Maybe if you've changed your mind, you want your pregnancy to continue. You can just wait. So because of that, and this, the high continuation rate is already is already more than half mm-hmm. at that point. If you don't take the second drug. You have to really question some of these numbers. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. hard to get in the weeds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what I was trying to get mm-hmm. at is, uh, you know, asking you about mm-hmm. gestational age and when their last cycle is and stuff. From from my opinion and what I've observed at our clinic is, a lot of this medication Tele- is being, telemedicine. Yeah, is yeah. being obtained through telehealth. Yeah. Well, and we've had some patients come in. in and they haven't told us why they want the early ultrasound. They yeah. know that we're the one place you can go to find out quickly how far along you are. Yeah. yeah. You know, most other places getting into a doctor's office takes weeks. Some of the clinics that do abortions won't just do an ultrasound to give you the information. And so they can they can find it very difficult to find out where to go. Mm-hmm. And we we do it no questions asked. Yeah. We'll see yeah. we'll see anyone if they want to confirm their pregnancy. So, and and so then they've later used that to go ahead and do a chemical abortion. Yeah. Yeah. So but, what happens if you get your your last menstrual cycle date wrong? Then that's when you think, well, how what harm could I do? Mm-hmm. By you know by getting it wrong by getting the dates wrong mm-hmm. probably not much okay. not much different if you're going to do it anyway mm-hmm. the change in risks probably isn't that great if okay. your dates are wrong okay there was a recent paper out of Canada that uh, looked at two groups the groups that had intrauterine pregnancy confirmation by ultrasound you know and managed by a professional versus just doing it based on last menstrual period. And there wasn't any statistically significant difference. It was numbers weren't huge, but it wasn't a big difference in terms of outcomes. And one mm-hmm. of the big concerns is ectopic pregnancies. Tubal, yeah. What if it's a tubal pregnancy? That's my next question. Yeah. Well, I've I've found that even if it's a tubal pregnancy for for anyone early in pregnancy, we might confirm intrauterine ultrasound at five or six weeks. But if they come in and they just have 
uh, we can't confirm it, but they have a positive pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. The the chance of them getting symptoms or having a major illness or life-threatening event like mm-hmm. due to bleeding in the abdomen mm-hmm. from tubal pregnancy is really small. It takes a number of weeks for the pregnancy to get large enough that it's going to cause that kind of problem. Now, when I, when I was a resident, and we're talking... <laughs> Back in the seventies, <laughs> you know, we had patients coming in all the time, yeah, and we would have to look for blood in their belly, to, oh, yeah, to confirm if it was a tubal pregnancy or not. It was before we had all the sophisticated ultrasound we have now. Sure, sure. So a lot of them weren't diagnosed until they actually had been bleeding internally. Wow. But now with the sensitivity of the pregnancy tests, even the urine pregnancy tests are yeah. very sensitive. Yeah, and the ultrasound to see if it's in the uterus, that's not happening much. Mm-hmm. But but we're really careful, uh, certainly at 3W, we're really careful to give people warning signs mm-hmm. for tubal pregnancies because mm-hmm. they that's not something to fool around with. It's unlikely right. that they'll die from internal bleeding if, you know, when their symptoms first begin. Mm-hmm. But it's still not something to mess around with. So we give them instructions about pain and and bleeding as far as when to go to the emergency room and say, mm-hmm. you've got to go to the emergency room. Insurance or no insurance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so why would your typical woman or patient approach Plan C versus versus an, a, versus a different surgical? route? Yeah, versus yeah. surgical. Theoretically, proponents are saying that the incidence of complications is is not much different than the Mm -hmm. surgical. Mm -hmm. And they may want to just manage it at home. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they may want to do that. Probably the cost is a little bit less Mm -hmm. for that. So that Mm -hmm. probably is is something. Now that people are getting them over the internet, they don't even have to spend the money on a medical appointment to do that. But, you know, anybody that does that needs to be if they're starting to have any issues, they need to get seen. Yeah. They need to see somebody. And yeah. one of the problems we're seeing is that women have been told, if you go into an emergency room, don't tell them that you took the, the drugs for a chemical abortion, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. as if they're going to be uh, shamed, shamed or, or something. Yeah, yeah. judge. The, the real thing is they absolutely need to do it because the ideas about management are going to be drastically different. different. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be totally honest with these ER docs. Don't lie to your doctors. Don't lie. No, Especially do not lie. Especially in an emergency situation. That's right. They That's need right. to know what's going on. Yeah. Because many miscarriages, we're, we're just going to kind of keep hands off and just kind of wait. Yeah. But in this case, you know, the bleeding, typically the bleeding from a chemical abortion is worse and the pain is greater. I mean, this is even in the in the ACOG hmm. thing. It says, hmm. patient counseling should emphasize that bleeding likely will be much heavier than menses, menstrual cycle, hmm. and potentially with severe cramping. See, that's not what's being said No, out there. they're being said, oh, it's no big deal. But that's not true. Even ACOG says, no, this yeah. is a lot, I, lot worse. Yeah, I've been hearing the opposite. Yep. On social media, I've been hearing the opposite out there and saying that it's safe and right. and well, because that's debatable what what defines safe. And it's also it's just like a bit. It's just like a period cramp. And, yeah, like a heavy period. Yeah, like but, a heavy period, but it's, and then you'll get over it. It's you know? significantly heavier by all the people that we've seen who have yes. done it. Yeah, all the reports, all yeah. the patients talking to us have, without exception, yeah, yeah, have said it's a lot. Different. It's yeah. a lot more now. Bleeding and cramping 
are a normal part of the uterus evacuating itself. Mm-hmm. So whether it's mm-hmm. a miscarriage or this, the bleeding and cramping are a normal part of that. Mm-hmm. It's just the degree to which it, it mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. The ACOG doesn't recommend, WHO doesn't recommend giving patients strong pain meds like narcotics for the cramping. They say, you know, use the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, the NSAIDs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be like ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Yeah, but from what I've heard... That doesn't know. help. Uh, well, I mean, it does. And it actually, those medications actually work directly on the uterus. Mm. So they that's why they help menstrual cramps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they do help. But, you know, I mean, how much do you want somebody to suffer? I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't say whether it's right or wrong. But they recommend not giving narcotics for this. Wow, wow. So, so it's something you would recommend if... If a patient was moving forward with something like this, to not do it alone? You know, they need to have somebody. Yeah, they need to have somebody they can call, somebody that can come help or call 911. I mean, potentially, you know, when when we're young, we think we're semi-immortal. Yeah, we think we're immortal, you know. <laughs> and so a lot of times we'll delay yeah. before getting help. What if you delay so long you pass out? We so if you pass like out, that. how are you yeah. going to call nine one one when you're unconscious? Yeah. So that's that's a good point. I would point. recommend you having someone with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just to be on the safe side. Like, yeah. Just as even somebody just, needs you know, to know what's emotional going on. Emotional support. Well, that's the other thing. You know, that's you know? not being addressed. Yeah, but, yeah. So, um, so there are a couple contraindications to this, okay. and one is if you have anemia. Oh well, why would anemia be a contraindication? Because if you're already anemic and then you have a lot of bleeding, bleeding. you're in big trouble. Yeah. 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 So that's a contraindication. If there's an IUD in place, you can't do it. You have to have the IUD ah, removed first. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, um, see, none of that has been advertised. Yeah. None so, of that has been talked about. Yeah. There are a few medical mainstream. situations too. There, some of them are rare, like something called porf- porphyria. You're always better off getting evaluated. I mean, even those of us in the medical profession are always, I never stop learning. I think, oh, things are just right on this track and this is the direction things are going to go. And then somebody says, oh, by the way, I'm allergic to blank, 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 or I have this other little problem or this rash. And it's like all of a sudden big red flags go up. Yeah. So even in the medical profession, we can miss things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so you're better off, I think, working with somebody professional. So they did a study uh, like the twenty around 2016, 2015, 2016. And, and that's, of course, well before our recent events. You know, that's mm-hmm. six, seven years ago. Right. Um, at, at how many uh, OBGYNs in a certain survey group. Now, this group of OBGYNs was already involved in kind of a collective that probably would be more inclined to prescribe it. Mm-hmm. But out of that group, uh, 14% were prescribing. We have no idea now how many OBGYNs are actually prescribing. But also, uh, and and for a while, you mm-hmm. see, it had to be dispensed at the clinician's practice. And yeah. it had they had to have um, a formal, pa- formal paperwork filed with the FDA to be able to dispense it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was just coming from the abortion clinics. But now they've removed that restriction. So we really don't know how many people are actually prescribing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, theoretically, you either need to be able to take care of the problem. If somebody comes in with heavy bleeding, they may have 
started to the process but not past all the tissue, they may need an urgent DNC. Oh. They may need an urgent DNC. If that's the case, you need to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a group of doctors, whoever's on call mm-hmm. needs to be able to do that. Well, what if it's family doctors or physician assistants or nurse practitioners or people that don't do DNCs mm-hmm. that are prescribing it? Then they need to be able to tell the patient, this is exactly where you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Unfortunately, the primary prescribers for many years on for- Planned Parenthood, they weren't seeing patients after hours. They weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. They were sending patients to the ER. ER, yeah. Yeah. Which is too bad because the ER is just like this catch-all. Yeah. And you insert yourself yeah. into this situation yeah. that you don't have all the information. Yeah. And then the patient doesn't tell you the truth yeah. about what's going on. Yeah. So, so. there's a, the need for follow-up like a DNC. It can occur after a surgical procedure if the emptying of the uterus was incomplete. Okay. So so you can need a, a second DNC. It's possible. Okay. But it's four times more likely at least after the uh, chemical abortions. What? To, you know, and so the ER wow. is getting all these people. But yeah. they need yeah. – and part of the reason they figured out that, that – that women were not telling the truth, saying, oh, I'm just having a miscarriage, was looking at when they returned again because things weren't fully taken care of. And they realized, oh, "Oh, it wasn't just a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's so much data lacking. We really don't know how often there are serious problems. So the main message is if this is something somebody decides to do, they need to be willing to have a good encounter with a medical assist, a medical system and be honest about mm-hmm. what they're doing. I was just going to piggyback on that a little bit about afterwards. Like, So you, quote unquote, have a successful self-medicated abortion at home. Mm-hmm. Should you go... And get checked. And get checked. So they've they've actually there's some studies on that, and mo- they found that most women can figure out that everything's been completed. You know, their pain stops, their bleeding stops, and that's a, that's a reliable sign that the miscarriage is over, or the or the abortion that was chemically induced is over. So that that's not necessary. Bleeding, you know, that doesn't stop pain especially pain that's on one side or the other, that could be an undiagnosed tubal pregnancy. So that okay. needs attention. Yeah. If, the, if they have heavy bleeding, they soak two maxi pads in an hour for two hours, they need to go in. That's okay. really heavy bleeding. That's getting on the verge of needing transfusions, et cetera. Okay. Okay. And so how are you supposed to... Have you had any uh, patients tell you how they felt after a completed... Oh gosh! Yeah, we we had one gal that I not too long ago, who came back and she hadn't said anything ahead of time that this is what she planned to do, and she yeah. ordered it. I think she'd ordered it online. Yeah, and she came back in and said, "If I'd known how painful this was, I would have just gone ahead and had the baby. Mm-hmm. The reason I did it was because I was afraid of the pain of having the baby." Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my gosh, we are shifting gears a little bit and trying to make sure that we are getting to questions that patients aren't asking, but that we're trying to prompt them mm-hmm. to ask, what are you really thinking? What do you really want to know? Yeah. Because yeah. we're here yes. to give you yeah. that information. We're here to tell you so mm-hmm. that you don't go into something kind of blind. Well, it's informed consent. It right? is informed consent. Right. Well, oh, in fact, is yeah. I was this was fascinating because most patients 
even if they have an abortion schedule, but they come in to talk to us first, uh, we ask them, well, what instructions, what pre-op instructions have they given you? Mm -hmm. If they're going to have a surgical abortion, what Mm -hmm. have they told you? Mm -hmm. And what's the process going to be like? And what's your recovery like? Mm -hmm. And how do you check in for it? And just all the basic stuff. If you're going to go to a surgery center or a hospital for an operation. You're inundated with information on what to do. Yes, that's right. And yet it's the opposite. It's just the opposite. They they aren't being told anything. Well, so here's what ACOG says. Patient counseling before medication abortion should include discussion of when patients should contact their clinician in the case of heavy bleeding, such as the soaking two maxi pads an hour for two hours. Do they give that example? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. (laughs) And when to access urgent intervention. In rare cases, patients who undergo medication abortion may need to obtain an additional intervention, such as uterine aspiration. If the prescribing clinician does not perform the intervention, it is medically appropriate to provide a referral. That's, I mean, that's the recommendation. But we're finding patients are given almost no information. No information. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being advertised. And especially uh, now that we've got some of the political situations where there aren't abortion providers accessible in many areas. Here in Seattle, there's plenty. In other parts of the country, mm-hmm. there aren't very mm-hmm. many. And and there, there are billboards and signs going up saying, hey, you can get you can get medication abortion in this state, mm-hmm. like South Dakota, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, trucks being driven around with that message on it. It's safe and effective. Yeah. Well, it's being described as Tylenol, as safe as Tylenol. Well, that yeah. seems a bit crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't think we have the data. Too. Well, you know, so I've heard it said that if Tylenol had to go through FDA approval, now it might not be approved. So oh. <laughs> there's a there's a whole so other can that, of worms. So right? if Tylenol is not looking that good, then what do you think about this? Well, I don't it makes know. Makes you wonder, like, what about a lot are, of our drugs? Yeah, what are these yeah. FDA guidelines that? Supposedly, How do they do it? Yeah, supposedly yeah. supposed to be the safety net for us. Well, right? and and what about those patients, uh, such as cancer patients, where they, this is totally off topic, but <laughs> what about those cancer patients who are out of options, you know, and, and you have to get special approval for compassionate use of some uh, trial drug or something, mm-hmm, you know, to mm-hmm. see if you can get some treatment or, mm-hmm. you know, so there, why are some things streamlined through the FDA with no big deal and, and other things that yeah. we know are totally medically critically necessary yeah that are being held up so long by the FDA it's pretty crazy yeah yeah what should patients know about plan C before they take the medication what are some what are th- three things you would like to tell a patient before three things yeah one is you're better off knowing that you have an intrauterine pregnancy, that it's viable. I mean, yeah. if you've got 20 or 25% miscarriages, you know, why why go through a medication abortion mm-hmm. if you're having a miscarriage anyway? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's better <laughs> to know that, yeah. that you have an intrauterine pregnancy that's viable. Which can only uh, be done if you come in person. That's right. That's right. It yeah. can't be done over the phone or yeah. telemedicine or anything like that. Yeah. So the second thing is, is that be prepared for pain and bleeding beyond what you thought mm-hmm. or had any idea. Mm-hmm. Not that everybody will have the most severe, mm-hmm. but 
it happens fairly often. Mm-hmm. I mean, the incidences of severe pain and bleeding are in the 70 to 80 percent range. Wow. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing is be prepared for that yeah. and be prepared to go seek medical attention if if you're feeling bad. Yeah. If, if you're not comfortable with what's going on, go seek medical attention. Yeah. 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 And this is in no way to scare anyone. This is just this is just the cold hard truth about the situation. Yeah. And yeah. we just want to be honest with folks. Well, and I confess, I had I pulled a muscle skein last year. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I didn't go see anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't go to the emergency room. I thought what are they going to do for me? So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and it was a pretty bad muscle pull. Okay. You know, yeah. so I have to confess that that's our human nature yeah. is to say, oh, I think I can handle this myself. Yeah, yeah. But I would encourage people if they have doubts, go see somebody. Number three, yeah, you can make it tough for me. Number three, because <laughs> those are the two main things. Well, I guess number three would be if you're if you're struggling with the experience that you had, or you're feeling like, oh man, I've got PTSD after doing this or something. Mm-hmm. You know, we're here. We're here. Purely to help women handle their life circumstances mm-hmm. regarding their reproductive and sexual health. And yeah. sometimes all we do is talk with somebody and ask them questions and mm-hmm. and we're a listening ear mm-hmm. and non-threatening, mm-hmm. you know, non-judgmental. And we just want to help women heal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are even resources for healing with other groups, mm-hmm. online groups, for example, you know, right. grief, because I mean, you have to face that there's actually going to be some grief. Yeah. Even if it's something you felt you had to do, wanted to do, didn't have any doubts, mm-hmm. you know. There's a loss there. There's a loss. There's a loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 How easy is it to be sent the medication these days? Well, I haven't tried it. I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> well, from, from my observation, it's been pretty accessible. Yes, anywhere, everywhere. That's what that's what I've gathered from the uh, from the stories from patients. Yeah, who have come yeah. in. Yeah, it's it's like it's pretty it's easy. An internet search and it yeah, yeah. kind of comes in your mailbox. Well, I think there have been ads looking for people to carry the drugs from one state to another too. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Come or carry across these, the border. Or across too. the borders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, what are some of the? Well, let's backtrack a little bit. What are some of the side effects? of Plan C? Oh, well, actually, uh, mainly the misoprostol, the second drug. Also, remind me to tell you something about using that alone. But that can cause nausea and vomiting. It uh, let's see what else does it cause. So side effect mainly from misoprostol, nausea, vomiting, that's up to 40%, nausea, 66%, diarrhea, up to 35%, headache, up to 40%, dizziness, up to 39%, fever, hot flushes, chills, up to 69%. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, so it's not a pleasant experience. No, it's not. And does that happen pretty immediately if you have a, like a reaction to it? Probably pretty quickly. I would say probably within an hour or two of taking it would be my guess. Okay. And the reason is because it's a, it's a prostaglandin analog. So prostaglandins have been used to induce uterine contractions. Okay. And uh, f- before these were available, there was like prostaglandin E and prostaglandin F2. And anyway, some hmm. 
Okay. that were used to to basically cause second trimester. Usually, I mean, the only time I'd used it would be with a fetal demise, mm-hmm. but also for abortions. It mm-hmm. had been used for that mm-hmm. prior to these regimens becoming available. So yeah. we know that the prostaglandins cause that problem. Okay. So. Okay. And what was something that you wanted to Oh, yeah, the misoprostol. Yeah. So internationally... Mifepristone, I think cost and availability is less. And so internationally, they've been using just misoprostol alone. So when you do the mifepristone, misoprostol, you take like one dose of misoprostol. When you do just misoprostol alone, it's going to take longer. But there's a WHO protocol um, where you take, and it's a much larger dose, 800 instead of, I think it's, is it 200? I can't remember. But anyway, it's a larger dose, mm-hmm. and um, you repeat it as needed. Sometimes it's just repeat to for two to three doses every three to 12 hours, things like that. There are different protocols, mm-hmm. but basically it's repeated. So that's basically using the prostaglandin to do it. And because it can be given as a pill as opposed to the others, which were like suppositories or injections, it's mm-hmm. more amenable to self-administered. Okay. Abortion. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we just kind of scratched the per- of the surface of it because there's only so much time. And yeah. if you have an unplanned pregnancy, you know, all these yeah. things are being presented to you. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. I don't even know well, where to start. Well, and actually people, so there are people that have started the process. We had one gal come in who had taken the medication and she came into the clinic like, I think it was within an hour or two. I mean, it was like really fast. Oh, like, wow. Okay. I wish I hadn't done this. I okay. really don't want to do this. Okay. And so basically she has pretty good chance of of not having the pregnancy end by doing nothing more huh. than just okay. that one dose of, of mifepristone. There are studies done, but they're not, you know, ACUG doesn't like this. Uh, Again, Mm -hmm. it's probably the politics Mm -hmm. because uh, if you have progesterone receptors being blocked, if you have insulin receptors being blocked in some other condition and you give a ton more insulin, you know, you can kind of overwhelm them. So that's true of all sorts of, you know, hormone receptors, other receptors in our body. Mm -hmm. You give more of whatever that receptor is designed to it to receive, and you can kind of make up for the blocking problem. Okay. So progesterone, which is often used for people that have had repeated miscarriages that are desperately trying to have a successful pregnancy, mm-hmm. many times they receive progesterone in the, the early part of pregnancy to mm-hmm. try and mm-hmm. to try and really kick in those progesterone receptors. So there have been patients treated with progesterone. Mm -hmm. Um, They're calling it progesterone reversal. Mm -hmm. So somebody can, there's a website about progesterone reversal that people could look up. That's not something we're participating in. It's not, quote, approved yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but there have been quite a few, quite a few documented case lists of success. So, okay. yeah, just I mean, if somebody record, really has a question, we, we can point them as to where to look for that. Yeah. So, yeah. Just for the record, we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're not doing it at 3W. No, we're not doing yeah. it. Yeah. But but the, what we will do is if somebody wants to just, if anybody wants to come in and just confirm, hey, is there still a heartbeat? Is this still ongoing? Yeah. Regardless of whether they're trying to reverse it or they regret the mifepristone or they're they haven't done any chemical abortion yet, but they mm-hmm. want to know if there's, if they should even bother. Mm-hmm. For any of those reasons, we're happy to do that yeah. ultrasound and yeah, let them absolutely. know where they stand. Yeah, that's information that you can't get any other way. 
Yes. Yeah. We're really big on informed consent. Absolutely. (laughs) We're really big on educating our patients, you know, and that's why we have these types of podcasts, because when we hear that these types of topics are being manipulated out in society and world and politics and there's money involved, the people that that get caught up in it is our patients. And when they're faced with an unplanned pregnancy, when they're faced with such a tough, tough situation, they should be able to have access to folks like you and talk about it very thoroughly. And there's no, there shouldn't be a a dollar amount attached to it. And there shouldn't be um, scare tactics. Well, that's really the reason we exist because we felt that a lot of people were profiting from women's choices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from their, from their reproductive decisions. Yeah. And it's like, wait a second. Let's just focus on the women. And fortunately, thank you to our wonderful donors yes. who help make this happen. Yeah. Because yeah. it really affects lives. And we're, you know. Yeah. Just, I mean, just how complex Plan C is. Like, yeah. who has the time these days in your everyday primary care to sit down with someone and talk about that? Yes. Well, we can. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we have that's, the capability. That's our intent. To, yes, yep. that's the uniqueness. Fill that, that gap. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, if you if you're out there, you're listening to this because you're curious about if this is the route you want to go down, and you have more questions for Dr. Rutherford or for Christy, our nurse practitioner, please make an appointment to come in. We're more than happy to spend time with you to make sure you are equipped with the tools and the education you need to make a informed decision about what you want to do next. And it's for but There's I th- even free parking. Yeah, yeah. But I think <laughs> right in front of our clinic. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's time well well invested. You know, as you can, as you've heard on this episode, it's not something to take lightly. It's not. It's not just taking a pill and then sitting on your couch and waiting for something to pass. It's not. It, it could be very painful. It can be very emotional. And we want to be able to be there for you to make sure that um, you're prepared for it. If this is if this is something that yeah. you want to do, so. So just thinking, as you say that, the overarching purpose of our clinic is to let women know that they matter. Yeah, that someone cares about them. Someone cares about them. Yeah, Yeah. and they're loved and they deserve to be loved and be seen and be heard and that they're not alone. Thank Thank you, you. Sue. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for educating us about this. And I'm sure as more information come out, we'll have you back on to piggyback on this. But for now, I think this is some good basic information that everyone should be aware of. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more information about the services we provide, book an appointment, or make a donation if you'd like to support our mission. You can also call our office at 206-588-0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you like this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay healthy and be well.